Welcome to Grace and Glory Audio, featuring Pastor P.G. Matthew, Bible teacher and pastor of Grace Valley Christian Center, located in Davis, California. Today, Pastor Matthew will continue on in the Bible series from the book of Isaiah with this message entitled, Why Salvation Waits. If you have your Bible with you, please turn to Isaiah chapter 59. Now, here's our teacher, Pastor P.G. Matthew. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are prone to accuse you and justify ourselves. But, O God, there is no fault with you. You are holy. You cannot lie. You are most holy, most righteous, most just, most wise, self-existing, self-sufficient, eternal God, transcendent God, uncreated, pure spirit. You alone are free, independent. You have no needs. So we find fault with ourselves. We are sinners. But help us today to look to you for our salvation, for our healing, our deliverance. And as I proclaim the gospel, we pray that you grant faith, saving faith, to your people that they may add faith to the gospel and be saved and healed and delivered and comforted and guided and strengthened and encouraged. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Why salvation waits? Why the deliverance is far from us? Why am I not delivered, healed? Why am I not blessed? That's the question. Have you ever complained to God? Why he is not blessing you? Why he is not answering your prayer? And I'll give you the answer today. Israel so complained. They were concluding that either the covenant Lord was weak, that he was not almighty, or that he was insensitive to the needs of his people. So insensitive that he was not hearing their prayers. They accused God and excused themselves. This is our problem. So the question then is, why my salvation waits? Why is it far away? Why God does not speedily come? to my aid. I want to speak a few things. First, the charge against God's people, the Lord's charge. The second, the people's confession. The third, Christ the Redeemer. And the fourth, the church which Christ creates. Why salvation waits? Why deliverance is far away? Now the Lord answered this question already in chapter 50. There we read, Was my arm too short to ransom you? It's a rhetorical question. The expected answer is, Not so. Do I lack strength to rescue you? No, he doesn't lack strength. 
then the question is why did he not save Israel and the Lord's response we read in Isaiah 50 because of your sins you were sold that is into captivity into slavery because of your transgression your mother was sent away the people of God have a history of blame shifting Adam shifted blame to Eve and to God when he said the woman you put here with me she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it he did not say I have sinned against your command and Eve said the serpent deceived me and I ate she did not say I sinned by eating the forbidden fruit and ever since that time we all shift blame to God and to others we are stuck on stupid even so Israel shifted blame to God the Lord somehow is not faithful to his covenant I said they accused God and excused themselves and the Lord will not accept that surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save the arm of the Lord is mighty it reaches far the truth is God is unchanging God he always is almighty and he is always almighty to save. The Lord himself spoke to Abraham in Genesis 18 and verse 14. Is anything too hard for me? The answer is what? No. The arm of the Lord. The personal power of God. Is great to save you. Isaiah 40 verse 10 we read. See the sovereign Lord comes with power and his arm rules for him. Isaiah 51 verse 5 we read about the arm of the Lord, the power of the Lord, the saving power of the Lord. My arm will bring justice to nations. Isaiah 52 verse 10 we read. The Lord will lay bare his holy arm in the sight of all nations. And all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of the Lord. In Isaiah 59 verse 16. His own arm worked salvation for him. And his own righteousness sustained him. Isaiah 63 5. So my own arm worked salvation for me. The Lord does not need any outside help. We need outside help. We are creatures. We are dependent. We are not free. We cease to exist if he doesn't uphold us by his outstretched arm. The whole universe is held by him, by his power. 
and be read in Isaiah 40, this profound and encouraging statement. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. That's good news for you. And it is good news for me. Because we are weary and we are weak. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. Let's praise God. We have an almighty Savior. Nothing is too hard for Him. And not only that, we have a sensitive Savior. We have a compassionate Savior. We have a prayer-hearing Savior. My daughter called yesterday and said, she said, ask and you shall receive. I said, what did you say? <laughs> ask and you shall receive. I said, I asked my boss to appear before the Supreme Court of Alaska to argue the case. And the boss said, go ahead. Ask and you shall receive. The truth is, his ears are ever attentive to your prayers. And we read in Isaiah 58 and verse 9, if you want to look at it. It says, then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here I am. Here I am. Hallelujah. Well, but Isaiah 65 verse 24 tells us that he will answer even before we articulate our prayers to God. Before they call, I will answer. While they are praying, I will hear it and respond. So, you must ask the question, then why does he not save us? Why does he wait? Why salvation is far from us? The reason we are given here, the reason is our sins, our transgressions, and our iniquities. When you blame him, he will not put up with it. He will give it back to you. In the Hebrew Bible, the word iniquities appear five times. Verse 2, verse 4, verse 6, verse 7, verse 12. What is iniquity? It is the twistedness of human heart. The heart that is warped. Iniquity speaks about total depravity of man. Jeremiah said, heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. That's the problem. That's iniquity. And he uses the word transgressions four times. Verse 12, verse 13, and verse 20. What is transgression? I said to somebody the other day, you transgressed. Transgression is willful rejection of God's rule in my life. Willful, conscious, deliberate, flouting of God's law. And sin appears two times, verse 2 and verse 12. Sin is the missing of the mark. It is the non-performance of God's will. So what is God saying? 
God is saying, I'm not weak. I'm almighty. I'm not insensitive to your prayers. But salvation waits. Deliverance is far because of your iniquity, transgression, and sin. He brings it back to you. The charge. He charges us with our iniquities, our transgressions. And so take a look at verse 2 and other places. Your iniquities created a wall of separation, a middle wall of separation between God and you. Your sins have hidden his face from you. He says, don't blame me. Blame yourself. Your iniquities, your transgressions, your sins are the reasons why justice is far from you. Righteousness is far from you. Peace is far from you. Truth is far from you. Light is far from you. Salvation is far from you. Honesty is far from you. Take a look at it. Not only the general charge of sin, there is specification and specificity of your sins. Your hand, your hands are stained with blood. And this is an old charge. Let's turn to Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 15. It says, when you spread out your hands in prayer, in worship, what does God see? The blood stain on your hand. I will hide my eyes from you even if you offer many prayers. I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. And you read it. Your fingers are full of guilt. Your lips lies. I want to give you a definition of postmodernism. Postmodernism is very old. It is simply called what? Lies. It's rejection of an objective God, rejection of objective revelation. It is creating my own reality in my head and expressing it with my mouth. It is spider's web parading itself as garment. And we are told, your heart conceives trouble and give birth to evil. This is our problem, the heart. And if you keep reading, you'll say, your feet rush to sin. Every part of your body is involved. And then we are told, your thoughts, that's your imagination, are evil thoughts. The very imagination is warped and twisted. Well, this is total depravity. The book of Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5 tells you, The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become, and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. The very heart, the very imagination, the very thought is evil. This is postmodernism. It is the old lies. 
And what is the sum of your life? What is the sum total of your achievement, unbeliever or backslidden Christian? What is the sum total of your life as you are about to die? And Isaiah pictures this as snakes' eggs and spiders' webs. The sum total of your life is destruction and worthlessness. And if anybody comes in contact with you, they die by eating snakes' eggs. This is why us Reverend Budding prayed, bad company one corrupts good morals. And you teenagers and everybody else earnestly seeking in secret companionship of the wicked, they will give you snake eggs and spider's web. They can only corrupt you and destroy you. Some already have been destroyed. And you can read all this, verse 5 and 6. Your life is destructive, destruction, and your life effort is useless and worthless. All your plan is weaving of what? Spider's webs. It is fig leaves covering. And those who come in contact with you die eating. Vipers' eggs and wearing useless garments, spiders' webs. Jesus said, What does it profit if you gain the whole world and lose your soul? And yet they are working very hard, they are working overtime. They are running hither and thither, the Gentiles run after these things, they are very busy. Well, these are children of the devil speaking lies, producing snake eggs and spinning spider webs. They masquerade as the covenant people of God. They accuse God and excuse themselves. There is no justice in their courts. Powerful use law to suppress the weak. There is violence everywhere. Innocent blood is shed. They walk in what crooked paths of their own creation. They are self-centered. They have no love for God. Therefore, they have no love for God's people. They refuse to know the way of peace. And therefore, they do not experience peace. It's all in there. You just read it. They are fearful, they are anxious, they are depressed, they are hopeless, they are stupid and confused. They are ever stuck on stupid. They are incapable of doing anything else. And you read, truth has tumbled in the public square, verse 14 and 15. Truth is trampled upon in the streets. Truth is no more. It sounds like our times. Truth is dead. Truth nowhere to be found. In political life, in the courts, in the legislature, 
in the executive branch, in the media, in the universities, in the churches, in the business world, in the home, in the personal life. Lies. Postmodernism. Rejection of God and His revelation. Creating our own construct of reality. Truth as revealed in the scriptures. Not found. Truth as it is in Jesus. Truth of an objective triune God. Truth of creation, fall and redemption. It is negated. It is mocked. It is trampled down. The prophets, the true prophets are mocked and stoned to death. But any person who stands for truth is mocked, reviled, opposed, stoned. Yet they shifted the blame to God, the Holy One, one who is incapable of sinning. Let me tell you, this total depravity is an irreversible condition. There is, I say, no human solution. And St. Paul deals with this. Turn with me to Romans chapter 3, beginning with verse 10. There is no one righteous, not even one. That's why there is no human solution. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good. Not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways and the way of peace they do not know. Quotation from this chapter. And there is no fear of God before their eyes. They negated God and revelation. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. That's a problem. I said, heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. So, the second point is the confession of the elect people of God. A confession created within them by... The mighty creative work of God. Verses 9 through 12. As long as we shift blame. To God and to others. As long as we refuse to repent and confess our sins. As long as we refuse to say. Have mercy upon me a sinner. We shall not experience God's salvation. Take a look at Isaiah 55. Beginning with verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way. And the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord. And he will have mercy on him. And to our God. For he will freely pardon. But now beginning with verse 9. There is a sudden change. Suddenly we hear confession. The prophet Isaiah includes himself in the company of the confessing elect sinners. And this section is like Daniel 9, Ezra 9, 
Nehemiah 9, where there is a communal lament. The whole community confessing their sins. No more blame shifting, no more excusing themselves and accusing God and others. Look at the first person pronouns. We, our, us appears many times in this section. In other words, the elect people of God agree that God is not the problem. God is the only solution. They agree that they are the problem. They are the cause for the delay of their salvation. They agree that they are full of iniquity, transgression and sin. They own it. Let me tell you, they agree that they are in a dark prison. And Isaiah uses the expression, they grope along the walls. But not only that, they are in a dark prison, but they are blind. Well, beyond that, he says, you keep reading, they have no eyes. They have no eyes. They are like the blind man in John 9. He was born blind. And my suspicion is he had no eyes. We are sinners since birth and we are sinners since conception. We have a problem. We are in a prison. It is dark. And we grope along the wall. And we are blind. And we have no eyes. Well, that's not the only thing. Keep on reading. And in verse 10 we are told we are dead. Let's turn to Proverbs 4. Verse 19, but the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. But not only they are in a dark prison, they are blind, they have no eyes, but verse 10 says we are dead. Let me tell you, what a clean, comprehensive, self-denying, Christ-honoring, spirit-produced, glorious confession. When I meet with people, as I listen to them, I can tell whether the person confessed or not. There is a way people confess which is no confession, which is covering their certain parts. It is. But man, this confession, nobody can do this unless God creates it. They are dead, we are told. They needed spiritual resurrection and we must assume that God raised him up from the dead. Because of his great love and rich mercy, God made us alive with Christ. That's what we need. No eyes, blind, in prison, dead, depressed, anxious, fearful, hopeless. And read verse, I think it's verse 11, we growl like bears and mourn like doves. We groan and we mourn because of the weight of our sin and our guilt. This is what John Murray calls total inability for man to save himself. Turn with me to Psalm 32, the famous psalm. Take a look at it. And I will read from verse 3 through 5. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away. Means my whole body wasted away. Not just bones. Bone stands for the whole body. 
Through my groaning all day long, for day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. And I'm saved, in other words. I'm forgiven. I'm justified. Salvation has come to me. There is hope for the confessing sinner. There is light for the confessing sinner. There is full pardon for the confessing sinner. There is salvation for the confessing sinner. There is liberty for the confessing sinner. There is guidance for the confessing sinner. There is healing for the confessing sinner. There is communion for the confessing sinner. Let us acknowledge our sins. Let us own our sins. And say against thee, thee only have I sinned. Now let us say, have mercy upon me. Yes, sinner. See, that's what is happening. Turn to Isaiah 59, verse 9. So justice is far. That can be called, therefore, justice is far. In other words, they now realize, because of our sins, salvation is far from us. Hallelujah. Full agreement, full confession. No argument, no negotiation. And verse 12 says the same thing. For, because our offenses are many in our sight. This is complete confession. And also, verse 14, so justice is driven back. In other words, we agree with you, O God. I understand it. The salvation is far from us. Liberty, healing, encouragement, comfort, deliverance, light, far from us because of our sins. May God, pray to God that God will help you to confess. Nobody confesses unless the Spirit creates it on our lips. And look at verse 13 in the Hebrew Bible. If you don't have a Hebrew Bible, there are six infinitives absolute. They agree in terms of rebelling against the Lord, denying the Lord, Turning away from the Lord, speaking oppression and revolt against the Lord, conceiving evil in the heart, and finally uttering lying words from the heart, which means creating our own spider web. See, it's inside and then it comes out in terms of lies. They are saying, Lord, you are right. We are all wrong. And we read to you what Isaiah 55 said, Let the wicked forsake his ways. And the evil man, his thoughts, let him turn to the Lord, and he will have mercy on him. And to our God, he will but abundantly pardon. And St. John tells us in 1 John chapter 1, verse 8 and 9, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. And truth is not in us. And if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. Third. Third is Christ the Redeemer comes to Zion. We have to have a savior to get us out of this miry clay and pit and prison 
to give us sight, give us eyes, give us salvation. So the question is, how can a holy God pardon guilty sinners and yet remain holy? God must punish sinners, and he does. But he does not punish us sinners. He punishes a substitute. He receives all our punishment. Let's praise God for that. He lays down eagerly and willingly his life for us. He willingly drinks up the cup of the wine of the just wrath of God against us. We saw that in in Jeremiah 25. Praise God we have such a substitute. He is our redeemer. Look at verse 20. The redeemer will come to Zion. To those in Jacob who repent of their sins. Who is this redeemer? Well he spoke about this redeemer in this prophecy. He is the virgin son. He is Emmanuel, God with us. He is the Prince of Peace. He is the Messiah, the Son of David. He is the Spirit Anointed One. He is the Suffering Servant. He is the Mighty God. He is the Son of God. He is God. He is man. Perfect God and perfect man. He is God, man. God and man without sin. I said, all have sinned, therefore there is no human solution. And the solution must come from God through his Redeemer. Now, when you study the word Redeemer, Goel in Hebrew, (laughs) he has to be a blood relative. Redeemer is a blood relative. He is God incarnate. He is our Boaz. He He has the right to redeem miserable sinners. And he is able to redeem. And he is willing to redeem. And he has redeemed. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. There is no other redeemer. There is no other. To intervene between a holy God and miserable sinners to effect our reconciliation. Well, let's let's take a look at 2 Kings uh, 14. Quick. 14. And God is looking for somebody to intervene, somebody to interpose, somebody to be the mediator, intercessor. Second Kings 14 and verse 26, the Lord has seen how bitterly everyone in Israel, whether slave or free, was suffering. There was what? Come on. No one to help him. Turn to Ezekiel. Uh, Ezekiel chapter 22. And maybe he has found somebody. Let's find out. Ezekiel 22. And verse 30, I looked for a man among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so that I would not have to destroy it, but I found none. There is a breach. There is, the levee has broken. And we need a man who will put his body in that breach. Breach of sin against God. No one. No one. In number 16, we find Aaron doing that. But the problem with Aaron is he is a sinner. And let's turn to Psalm 106. And we find a, a mediator there, but he also has some problem. Verse 23, 106, Psalm. 
So he said he would destroy them. Had not Moses' chosen one stood in the breach before him to keep his wrath from destroying them. But what is the problem with Moses? He's a sinner too. He's a sinner too. And so let's turn to chapter 59 and verse 16. He saw that there was what? No one. He was appalled that there was no one to intervene, to intercede, to stand in the breach, to be the mediator, to be the intercessor, to be the one who will bring these two parties in reconciliation, holy God and wicked man. But we have such a redeemer. The word redeemer appears in Isaiah 24 times. And we are told in verse 16, his arm works salvation for him. Take a look at his character, commitment, and endowment by looking at his garment. Verse 17, he put on righteousness as his breastplate and the helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance and wrapped himself in zeal as in a cloak. This is speaking about the ability of this Redeemer to save and to judge to save and to judge he saves his people because he is mighty to save and he judges all his enemies and verse 20 says this mighty redeemer has come where to Zion to Zion the elect of God He has come from heaven in search of us sinners. He has come to us in the incarnation of Jesus. And he died on the cross for our sins. He was raised from the dead for our justification. Read Isaiah 53. It tells that whole story of the redeeming work of Christ. He is our mediator. He intervenes in behalf of us before God. He is our mediator, intercessor, one who comes between a holy God and a wicked man to make reconciliation and peace. Look at Isaiah 53 and verse 12. A beautiful passage. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession. There is the word. It is the verbal form of the word um, mediator. And made intercession for whom? for transgressors and turn to first timothy chapter 2 verse 5 and there you will find saint paul speaks this for there is one god and one mediator between god and men who is this The man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all men, and so on. Hallelujah. Take a look at it. The Redeemer will come to Zion. There is no other Redeemer, Savior, Intercessor, Mediator. He accomplished salvation. The punishment that brought us peace was where? Upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. And he now saves all who will repent of their transgressions. Take a look at verse 20. The Redeemer will come to Zion to those in Jacob who, what? Come on. Repent. Repent of their transgressions. No redemption without repentance. 
Now, this is already stated in the introduction. Isaiah 1, take a look at it. I know, I know it is hard. Expository preaching is hard. It requires mind to function. Look at chapter 1, verse 27. It says, Zion will be redeemed with justice, her penitent ones with righteousness. Penitence, repentance, confession. Yet he redeems everyone who repents. Why salvation waits? Because there is no redeemer? No. Because the sinner refuses to repent. He refuses to confess. He refuses to call upon the name of the Lord. Paul identifies this verse with Jesus in Romans 11:25 and verse 26. Also elsewhere, he identifies the Redeemer as Jesus. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Why salvation waits? Is that God's problem or our problem? Salvation has come, brothers, sisters, in Jesus. Salvation has come. His name is Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Behold the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. That sin and guilt doesn't have to sit on you as an iron girder pressing you down into depression and misery and fear and anxiety and loneliness and lostness. Now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. He said, come unto me. I'll give you one. Rest. That, is, that means you must come to him. The gospel is proclaimed. You must add faith. How do I know you added faith? You will come to him. You will come to him. He said, I'll give you rest. Do not wait any longer. Add faith to the gospel call. Come to him and be what? Come on. Saved. Liberated. Saved from death, from blindness, from darkness, from fear, from anxiety, from loneliness. No more waiting in God. So do not wait. The Savior has come. Salvation is accomplished. The feast has been made ready. He calls all people. Look at Isaiah 55. Come all you who are thirsty. Come to the waters. And you who have no money. Come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk. Without money. And without. This is universal call. Everything is ready. Come and he will save you. Your redeemer. Will save you. There is a redeemer. Take a look at chapter 41. And verse 14. Let me read it to you. This wonderful word of encouragement. Do not be afraid. O worm Jacob. O little Israel. This is an encouragement for all little people. All worms of the earth. For I myself will help you. Declares the Lord what? Your redeemer the holy one of Israel. And the fourth point is church. Christ created church an international body of believers. The Redeemer comes to save all the elect people of the world. In this Redeemer, Jesus, the seed of Abraham, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Take a look at verse 19. From the West, men will fear the name of the Lord. That's you. That's you. And you read Acts chapter 16. St. Paul was sent to 
Philippi, that's Europe, entrance to Europe. And in Acts 19, he was sent to Asia, to Ephesus. See, from the West. And not only that, and from the rising of the sun, they will revere his glory, his people, all the families of the earth. Here I am standing here from the east, saved by Jesus. This great redeemer, by his mighty power, accomplished redemption, and he gave me salvation. He caused me to be regenerated. He caused me to repent. He caused me to confess. He caused me to believe. From the east and from the west. People of the East will hear the gospel and repent and be saved. The point is the elect of sinners of all parts of the world will hear and confess their sins and be saved in spite of secularism and postmodernism and unbelief everywhere, including in the church. He will save his people. Turn to Isaiah 57 verse 19. Creating praises on the lips of the mourners of Israel. As I said, it means bara, creating out of nothing. Peace, peace to those far and what? Near. This is the global and the universal proclamation of the gospel and salvation of his people. Hallelujah. And these people, they are the offspring of the Redeemer. Turn to Isaiah 53. Let me prove it out to you. Isaiah 53 and verse 10. He will see his offspring and prolong his days. Uh, Who is the offspring of this one? You. The church is the offspring. The Spirit of the Lord makes alive the dead and enables them to repent and confess and believe the word and live by the word of God. And it is stated in verse 21. We we don't want to take too much time. Let's turn to Isaiah 44. What we need is life. We needed life. We are dead. We needed life. And God creates life by his mighty Holy Spirit. Regeneration. God puts his life in the soul of man. This divine, miraculous, mighty work of God. Raising you from the dead. And causing you to understand spiritual realities. Let's turn to Isaiah 44. Let me read from verse 3. For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring. Oh, now we need spirit and my blessing on your descendants. Notice they will spring up like grass in the meadow, like poplar trees by flowing streams. One will say, well, I belong to the Lord, the confession, because the spirit of God made them alive. And they confess, I belong to the Lord and I am proud of the Lord. I am his offspring. I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. We are his offspring and we are his church. Not only the Redeemer makes alive by the Spirit, but he also puts his mighty word in our mouth to confess and live by verse 21. And read verse 21 if you want to. He not only guarantees to save you but your children. He says he will put his spirit upon them and his word in their mouth forevermore. Hallelujah. The promise is unto you and your children. 
and you go home and read Psalm 78, 1 through 8, and all that. If salvation is far away, if peace is far away, if light is far away, if deliverance is far away, if you are not experienced these things, let's all say the problem is not with God. The problem is our iniquity, transgression, and what? Sin. The truth is, the Redeemer has come to Zion. He is coming to you right now. As he came to Zacchaeus, as he came to the blind Bartimaeus, as he came searching for the one possessed of legion of demons, the Redeemer, the Mighty One, is coming to you. The Redeemer, the Mighty One, is coming to you to save you and your children to seek and find you as the good shepherd he saves sinners he saves all sinners he saves all sinners who repent he saves all sinners who cry out to this redeemer Lord have mercy upon me a sinner come to him who is coming to you be saved today he will make you a new creation we are told he will create praise on the lips of all the mourners of Israel. Come to him who is coming to you. Never trusted in Christ? Come. You are a Christian but you have been sinning, rebellious, stubborn, revolting against God. Come. Come. He will save you and your household forever. He is almighty. He is irresistible. He is mighty warrior. He will defeat all our enemies. Christ has come. The eternal God. The Son of God. Emmanuel. Virgin Son. Hallelujah. He has come. You must be punished. That will be just. And you all must be sent to hell. That will be right. Yes. But what is the gospel? The gospel is somebody else died in your place and took all punishment that was ours. Hallelujah. That is the truth, isn't it? You want deliverance? You want healing? You want guidance? You want provisions? You want forgiveness? You want justification? It's all here. Hallelujah. In Jesus Christ. He is the only Savior. He is the only Savior. You have been listening to Grace and Glory Audio, presenting this message from the Bible series on the book of Isaiah. Come back soon for more Bible teaching from Pastor P.G. Matthew.